Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Six is where we're going today, Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. I'll be walking through this chapter, but let's just read these, these verses, 11 through 16. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah. That is not to be confused with the Oprah. The terebinth tree, which was, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abbas, right? While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? Which our fathers told us about saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, God, this is so funny. Go in this your might. Go in this might of yours. Everybody say this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And today I would like to entitle this message, This Might of Yours. And I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your sweet presence and anointing that is in this house. May we leave this day, Lord, encouraged, full of strength and faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Take these words of mine. Let the meditation of my mouth, my heart, the, meditate, the, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Take these words and, and drive them deep into our spirits, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. For somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 years, the, the covenant people of God, Israel, they're, they're in a covenant with God through Abraham. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had sons, and those sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Israel is in a covenant relationship with God. For some 40 years, the covenant people of God, Israel, they had enjoyed rest and routine and prosperity. And during that season of rest and routine and prosperity, however, they grew complacent in their walk with God, in their relationship with God. As a matter of fact, they even began to to worship the gods of the Midianites. And, and those gods included Baal and the queen of heaven, Ashtoreth. And they were fascinating historical 
false gods that you can read about, you can study about. And it's fascinating to me because these are the covenant people of God. God had showed them so much, they said it. The Lord brought us out of Egypt. You know, the children of Israel had been delivered from the gods of Egypt. That's what the plagues were all about. And now here they come into the promised land and they start worshiping the gods of the local people, the, the deities in that region, uh, Ashtoreth and, and Baal. Why would they do that? What would drive them to do that? And we tend to look at the Bible and say, well, it's just because they were just dumb, simple people, right? Those dumb Israelites, they just forsook the Lord and went after these crazy gods in the promised land. But it's really, that's really a cheap shot. Because they're human beings just like us. And I might add, we have trouble sometimes staying on track. Can I get an amen? And, and I would put it like this. It was convenient to cave in, so to speak, to the philosophy of the day and the people around them. The gods of Baal and Ashereth and others. There was a certain entertainment factor that went with them. There was a certain logic. It made sense to the carnal mind. It was not as restrictive to be involved with these gods. They were pleasure-driven. And I might add this. We live in a pleasure-driven world. And no one wants to really, in our flesh live by the rules that God lays out in His Word. The gods of this world, and I might add, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but you hear what I'm saying. There are spirits and principalities at work in this world right here. Gods of this world. And they drive and thrive the flesh. They, they thrive on the flesh of men and drive the flesh of men. Do what you want. Have fun. Have pleasure. As a matter of fact, and, I mean, I, I love LSU, I, I love the Saints, I love sports, and so I'm not against any of that. But I will tell you this, there's a lot of us that have had our priorities out of sorts with, when it comes to sports. Uh, you know, there's a race today, I was informed. The, the, the pros are racing today, not on a track, but virtually, there is an e-race taking place today that will be broadcast on TV while they sit in front of their machines and race together virtually. Why? Because there's a demand for it, right? And I'll tell you something else. There will be betting on it, no doubt, which is crazy. But the gods of pleasure, you see that with entertainment, sports, movies, casinos, the amount of money that we spend having fun is crazy. And, and when you look at the gods of Baal and Ashtoreth, you're like, well, why would they ever get involved with them? Because they did include child sacrifice. They really did. It's, it's gruesome the way they went about that. How could they ever fall for that? And I would tell you simply that in our modern day world, I mean, say what you want to say, but I'm going to tell you every single day we are sacrificing babies. When it comes to abortion and the loss of life. And it's amazing to me how that, and, and excuse me if I just like step out here, but it's amazing to me how that 
I have friends that lobby with legislatures, etc., uh, for life, and they're begging the faith community to give me some money. They're trying to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to lobby in favor of life when the other side has hundreds of millions of dollars and teams of lawyers at their disposal to take the legislators out, give them all kinds of incentives, and say, hey, by the way, we would love for you to vote in this particular way. It's just unfair, and it's crazy. But here's here's the point. Uh, There's a lot that is being shaken up right now. Shifted, changed, moved. And in this story, the people of God, well, they had caved in. And the result of their caving into the spirit of their age, the zeitgeist, was that they were living in caves. Holes in the ground. Dirt. Dirt holes. Rocks. Now, here in the south, Sherry, we we don't have... You, you go a foot, you know, a foot and a half down in the ground, you hit the water table, right? Oh, there's the swamp, you know? Yeah. Okay. But when I was a kid, we used to go to Tennessee, go to Chattanooga, and you go to, to Ruby Falls Caverns. And, man, as, as the deep south, you know, I'd walk in there like, this is amazing. Look at these enormous mountains. I, I didn't even know the Rockies were even bigger. I'm just looking in those caves like, this is amazing. Like, we don't have anything like this down in the south. And, and when Valerie and I traveled in itinerant ministry back in the day, we took Caleb and Lizzie. We went to, uh, to Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, walked in those, those enormous caverns and saw all that was going on. And, and uh, you could go at dusk and, and, and sit in this stand, this, this gallery, and watch as millions of bats would fly out to eat all the mosquitoes and the critters and the bugs that were flying around. It was astounding to see all of those bats. And I thought, man, we need to transport those bats to Louisiana for mosquito abatement, right? We need more bats. I love to go out in the evening and look up in the trees, and I see the bats going around. I'm like, get them, sick them, you know, get those mosquitoes. The little truck comes by, you know, you know, spraying that stuff. It's like, we just need to release the bats. But they're, they're in the caves, and the children of Israel were in the caves with the bats. You, you can't lock the doors on the caves. <clears throat> you, you, the critters will come in there with you, the bats, the foxes. They'll all come in there with you. They're just holes in the ground. Listen to Judges 6, 2, and going through 6 in the New International Version. Listen to this. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country, camped on the land, and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Dale O'Shield says this, The Hebrew for impoverished gives us a graphic image of the condition of God's people at the time. It means to hang low, to languish, to become thin and small. It's used of a lame man's legs or a water source that's practically dry. 
It is the picture of faded hope. Everybody say faded hope. The Israelites had lost their hope. They were in a very low place, emaciated, spiritually and physically and psychologically, living in dread and fear of the next Midianite invasion and raid, powerless to stop their ravages. The, the Midianites were descendants of Abraham and Keturah. They, they had worshipped Jehovah at one time. As a matter of fact, uh, Moses' father-in-law was a priest in Midian, Jethro. They, they worshipped Jehovah. But somewhere down the line, they had gotten off track. They had backslidden. They had lost their way. They, they had strayed away from the Lord, and they teamed up with Esau's offspring, the Amalekites. And, and the Lord had swore, sworn to annihilate them off the face of the earth in Exodus 17. You can read about it. And so here you have the, the, the Midianites who were backsliders teaming up with the Amalekites and, and they would come in and they would, they would raid the, the camp, the land of Israel and, and, and wipe it out. Israel would plant crops and raise farm animals and the, the Midianites with the Amalekites would come like a virus from the east. Does that sound familiar? Judges 6.3 says that. And they would destroy their crops, kill their sheep, oxen, and donkeys that were used for plowing, and just wipe them out. There were so many of them that they're described as swarms of locusts that ravaged the land. They were parasites. And, and Guzik points this out. It's a fascinating point. It, it was not just that they came and took stuff. It's they waited until the time of harvest. After they had worked so hard to get a harvest, and then the Midianites would come in and take the harvest. They would steal from them. And it was because of this that the children of Israel, it says it, they began to cry out to the Lord. Why is it that we wait till tragedy strikes to start calling out to the Lord? But isn't that the way it works so many times? Like we hadn't talked to the Lord for a long time. Then we get the phone call, and then we're like, Lord, we need some help. And here we are today as a nation and as a church. And I'm going to tell you something. God, you know, Rahm Emanuel said don't waste any tragedy or look at situations as opportunities that may seem tragic. He famously said that. I would tell you something. God is not surprised by any of this and is taking full advantage of it. The church, I believe, is going to come out on the other side with revival and with resources like never before. And that spirit of fear... I curse it in Jesus' name. Now, now I'm not foolish and I'm not stupid. And, and you know, I, I don't jump, get on the building and jump off the building and say, Lord, it's, it's written. He's given his angels charge over me, lest I dash my foot against the stone. So watch me fly. I don't do that. That's what the devil tried to get Jesus to do. And Jesus said, it's written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Don't be presumptuous and foolish. You know, Jesus only did what the Father led him to do. He laid hands on a lot of people, but he didn't lay hands on everybody. He only moved as the Father led him to do. So I'm not saying be foolish and presumptuous. There's a certain amount of caution. We'll even see it here in, in Gideon's life. And we certainly, I certainly don't take you all up, you know, like you come through Discover Life. Welcome to life. We're so glad you're here. Now here's the first test. We'll put you on the roof. I'll shove you off because it's written that he's given his angels charge over you. Well, first, I'd go to jail. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you would curse splat on the concrete. And I don't know why I'm hung up on that right now, but 
the bottom line is this. That spirit of fear is, uh, I come against it in Jesus' name. And, and again, we're socially distancing. We're doing all that stuff. But, but there's, there's a world out here that's literally starving for people of faith. And that's who we are. And God's raising up a church, y'all. You hear what I'm saying? And, and, ju- and if people didn't gather today, I, I, we don't have a mega church. I don't have the same problems everybody else has. I don't have the, the same conversations that everybody else has. We don't have this gi- ginormous church. We're able to make this happen in these three services today. And I've, I've told people stay away if, if you're in those risk categories and whatnot. But, but the bottom line is this. Uh, we're able to meet. And if people that couldn't meet, I get it. I, I respect them. I'm not saying they're not people of faith. Are you with me? But every pastor is having to make the call and make the decision and pray for your pastors and leadership. They're under a lot of pressure right now. But this is fascinating. The, the, you would think the Lord would give the children of Israel a comforting word because it says they cried out to God. God, please deliver us. Help us, Lord. And the Lord sends them a word, a prophet. And the prophet comes, Yvonne, with this word, and it's, it, here's how it goes. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, and I'm the God that's more powerful than all those gods, and I'm more powerful than all these gods. And I told you, when you come into the land, not to fear those gods, but you have disobeyed me. Thus saith the Lord, end of story. That's all it said. The word from the Lord was very simple. You failed. Now, that is not very, you know, comforting to me. It's like, I know I failed. That's why I'm calling on your name. And the Lord shows up and says, you're right, you failed. You're a disaster. And he backs off. Like, okay, man. That's, you know, thank you for that relieving word right there. And so, but that's not the end of the story. Uh, Because uh, there's a guy named Gideon that, is on the scene already. Gideon is a he's he's countercultural. He's a, he's a pushback kind of guy. Everybody else is in a cave. And, and here's the deal: the cave. I mean, you could say they're quarantined to some extent. They're in caves. They're all locked up, uh, and they're afraid. And and uh, here they are. And and they're not leaving their caves. And what's, what's amazing about that is the Lord said in Deuteronomy, He said, I'm going to bring you into a land that's flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. And here they are, not in houses, but in caves. They're not living up to their promises. And, and Gideon is disturbed by this, and the Midianites are coming in and, and, and stealing all their stuff. And, and it, it's, a, it's a risky thing that Gideon does. He is in a wine press threshing wheat. What's that all about? It says he's trying to hide from the Midianites. So he's using caution. He's breaking the rules, but he's using caution. And what he's doing is he is in a wine press. They really didn't have wheat. He was having to go out to the the leftovers and glean what he could from the fields. So he had to cover a lot of ground to get a little wheat. And then you would normally thresh wheat on a threshing floor, which is on a hill, so the wind can catch it. You can throw it up and the chaff blows away and you could tread it out with either an oxen or with your own feet, but you can you can break it up and get the wheat, the kernels out of there. But instead of doing that, he is in a, a low place, a wine press. I've seen some of these. They're they're dug out in the rock, and 
you, you trample the grapes and it all goes down into a, a vat. And so here he is in a wine press and he's, you know, they didn't have wheat. They certainly didn't have wine. So he wouldn't be expected there. So he's, he's working wheat in the wine press, which is a very brave thing. And the Bible says in our reading, there was an angel that was under a terebinth tree watching Gideon. Think about that. An angel. One angel of the Lord killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Angels are not babies that die. Angels are, are powerful, mighty beings. You and I do not become angels when we die either. We certainly don't become baby angels, you know, floating around and whatnot. Angels are powerful creatures mentioned throughout the scripture, different species of being altogether, but they are, they are agents of the Lord's. They heed the word of the Lord. They do his bidding and his might. And, and you know, remember the story when uh, the prophet said, look around us, there's more that be with us than be with them. And there were legions of angels around them. Jesus told his disciples, I'm laying my life down. I could call 10,000 angels and escape all this mess. Angels are powerful beings. One angel was sitting under a tree watching this man go against the fear of his day, Gideon. And you know why? Because the Bible says, Psalm says at 34, the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him, the Lord. So here you had people fearing the gods of Midian. And here you have another guy who's fearing the God of Abraham. And there's an angel watching him. I want to tell you something. If you'll keep your fear in check and your faith in place, there are angels that are watching over you. And you, nobody else may see your acts of bravery and your prayers and your stand and your worship in your living room and in your kitchen and the prayers that you pray for your family. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord sees that. And he dispatches his angels to make sure that they're around you to protect you and keep you and help you. Amen. And I'm not trying to hype you up. This is such an, you know, I don't want to be opportunistic in this. You know, but I, I've already said it. You know, the, the Lord knows what he's doing. And I just want to be in that flow and follow after him. So that angel is watching. And that angel shows up to Gideon and says, listen, you are a mighty man of valor. And, and Gideon's like, what? Who? Me? I love that about Gideon because he was a mighty man of valor and didn't recognize that about himself. You don't have to be. When somebody tells me I'm a mighty man of valor when it comes to the things of the spirit, uh, okay, you know, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Maybe you ought to check your heart, you know. I don't know. I don't know, but, but Gideon was not just talking, he was doing. He's out there doing something. And the angel shows up and says, you are a mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, are you talking to me? What do you mean? And then he throws it up and he says, listen, where are those miracles I heard about? Well, the miracles were found in people who had learned to fear the Lord. And the ones that now were fearing the gods of the Midianites, there were no miracles. But there was one, Gideon, who was fearing the Lord. And he was about to see those miracles. As a matter of fact, when he got done making those questions, the Lord said to him, he said, go in this might of yours. You are more mighty than you realize. 
And I just got to tell you this again. There's some people in this room, you're more mighty than you realize. You're pushed back, your prayers, you're praying in the Holy Ghost. You being here today even, and I'm not saying people that aren't here don't have faith, but I'm saying you have proven some things in the realm of the Spirit. People may not recognize it or know it, but you're more mighty than you know. There is a might in you. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And this spirit of fear that has just so captivated our world at this time, uh, we just take authority over it in Jesus' name. Uh, As a matter of fact, Gideon, we see him, he didn't see himself as a strong man, but the Lord saw him as just what the doctor ordered. And after after Gideon saw this angel, he still wanted signs. Like Gideon needed convincing. And I can relate to Gideon. Can you relate to Gideon? Like he's like, God, he fleeced him. He had, like God gave him a promise. He's like, I need a couple of fleeces here to, to make sure that I'm on the right track. He needed, he needed God to give him some signs. I, I relate to that so much because, uh, you know, and I don't mean to get caught up on this one particular thing, but what we're facing in the world today, like, man, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm a small business owner. We are. And, like, what do we do with all that? How does this all look? Like, how do we function? You're, you're thinking those same questions. This is an equal opportunity offender, right? There's so many things going on all over the place. What about my employer? Uh, employer? What about my employees? You know, all the questions are being, what about my future? What about my family? What about this sickness? What about all those things? We're, we've got all these kind of questions. Gideon had questions, but he was moving in, in, in faith. You can have questions and doubts in your head, but it's important that you keep your faith intact in your heart. But you stand on, you lean into the faith in your heart and, and, and don't lean on to your understanding, but, but in all your ways, trust Him with all your heart. It's, a, it's vital that you live from the inside out from a faith perspective. And so He's asking these questions. He's got all kind of things He's wondering about and, and, and doubts and concerns he's, he's dealing with. And it's like, I need a sign. Everybody say a sign. And so one of the things, he does this fleece when it comes to dew and whatnot. But one of the things that he ends up doing is he takes ten guys. He gets ten guys on his side. And they go and they destroy one of the, uh, an idol, one of the idols of Baal. They, they just destroy this idol. And what's fascinating is the men, the next morning, this is in the middle of the night. This is cool, too. He didn't broadcast it on social media. He didn't do it at noon. He did it in the middle of the night. Goes and destroys this idol. He pushes back. And it's destroyed. The next morning, the people of Israel, covenant people of God, the men get all just out of sorts. They're mad. Who did this? And somebody says, I think it was Gideon. And they said, we're going to kill him. Let's get together and let's kill Gideon for destroying our beloved Baal. These are worshipers of Jehovah supposedly. Crying out to God and wanting to kill Baal because of what's happening. And so what happens is Gideon's dad, thank God for good parents. Gideon's dad says, hey guys, I got an idea. Let's not kill my son. Let's let Baal kill him. Oh, let's leave him in the hands of Baal. Oh, Baal's going to get him. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm going to change his name to Serub or Jerub Baal. 
Jerubel. I always grew up saying Jerubabel because there's two B's in there. But the wording is a man against whom Baal is to strive and contend. In other words, he was saying, this guy is the resistance. Let Baal take care of him and let's see what happens. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Nothing happened because there was nothing that could touch him because he was walking in purpose with the Almighty God. I'm telling you, I don't know what's going on with all this stuff. But like I said, none of it has caught God off guard. I told the first service, I'll share it with you. There's four men in the Bible, four lepers that, that move towards the Assyrian army. And that Assyrian army heard thousands upon thousands of, of footsteps and soldiers and horses and chariots. And all it was was four lepers. But their hearts were so filled with fear that they abandoned their camp. And God brought a deliverance and a provision to the people of God who had been under siege. Now, I'm going to tell you prophetically, I don't know. Let's just take the best case scenario. And that all that's going on right now, according to the numbers, let's just take the best case scenario, does not quite add up to other diseases, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just say it's not as bad, and yet this is the worst response we've ever had to something. I'm going to tell you, it is so catastrophic, I have to say God is in the middle of it all. And I would say, even if the fear is not justified, the fear is here, and God is going to use it for His purpose. And I believe there is going to be revival in a church that has fallen asleep And there's going to be resources to a church that lost its way. We're going to get our perspective back. I may have missed football a little bit, but I've understood something. It ain't near as important as I once thought it was. Amen? Driving a new car, getting that new whatever, it's not nearly as important as what I thought it was. As we get our perspective correct, I believe God's going to bring a revival that shakes this world until he splits the eastern sky and returns and we join him in heaven forever and ever. Give him some praise right now. Well, my, my. Stand with me right now. His dad changed his name to Zerub, Jerub Baal. It's... It's a name of honor and renown. He was the baby of a family in a tiny tribe. And God said, you came out your cave, boy. You were doing brave stuff. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. Verse 34 says, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. With himself and took possession of him. I know that we're to be clothed with power from on high. If you've ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've had that experience, but maybe you've not walked in that reality. What if we begin to walk in the reality of the Spirit of the Lord clothing us and taking possession of us, consumed with holy purpose, consumed with a mission? We have got to get this church out of bondage. We've got to get this church 
on track with what God's doing. We are not subject to this world or to the spirits of this world or to the God of this world. And the church found its way back to those places of deep commitment and consecration. I'll tell you what would happen. We'd send missionaries to the four corners of the earth. We wouldn't have a missions funding problem. Missionaries right now are freaking out like, Lord God, please help us. Lord Jesus, don't let the church stop. And, and, and everything is kind of on hold right now. And I'm just going to tell you, if we can plug in with our faith, I believe God will take us through. By the time we get to Easter, Passover, God's going to do a, a, a work that I think will shake this world. Fear, you have no place here. I come against the spirit of fear in Jesus' name. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We're the people called by your name. When we walk through the water, we will not drown. When we go through the fire, we shall not be burned. Father, we believe these things. God is for us. We stay in the secret place of the Most High and dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. We say of the Lord, He's my, my God, my rock, my fortress, and Him do I trust. Every promise in the book, it belongs to me. Father, I am told that the, the, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but God, I struggle with righteousness. But oh! Do I really? Because he made him to be sin for me who knew no sin. That I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And Father, when I fail, I have an advocate with the Father who cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And so my prayers are effective. And I pray, God, that you would awaken this church. That those are not just words. They're actionable words. They're actionable intelligence. We can act on them. Lead this church. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. We're going to take communion this morning or still this morning. I want you to find your way up here. We've got some trays with communion on them. If you would get your communion and take it back to your seat, please. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. We're going to take communion together. Are you with Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.